just say as we begin today that it is so good to be back home. I, I kind of feel like, you know, when like a, you know, when like a seventh grade girl goes on summer break and she's getting ready to go into eighth grade and there's that like nervous excitement of will people remember me? Will they like my hair? I feel that way a little bit right now. It's amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. Says the king of hair over there. I, <laughs> I receive that fully and freely. Man. Well, hey, can we share a little bit this morning about how God has been confirming a message in our souls? Yes. You know, if you can, I want you to open your Bible to Zechariah 2 verse 8. There's really one thing that we want to speak about this morning. If we can just focus just for the next hour or so on one thing, this is the thing that we've been uh, wrestling with for months. How do we live this out? This is uh, what we've been uh, in, just engaging our minds with. This is what we just saw over the last two weeks, and I want to read this for us. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. He's speaking about Israel. It says, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Today we want to talk about how Israel is in God's focus. If I can be honest, uh, before this trip, I didn't really understand what it meant to be the apple of God's eye. I thought, and maybe you have thought, it's something along the lines of there's like a delicious apple and God is looking at it. The apple of God's eye is referring to his pupil. The most center point in God's eye is focused on his people, Israel. I tell you, saints, Gentile saints here, we have such amazing blessings through the God who has been faithful to his children, Israel. What we want to do is we want to explain today that from the beginning of time through the covenants of God, that he has demonstrated how Israel is his focus. Come on. We also want to talk about how Israel is Satan's focus from the beginning of time. Do you see how these two things go hand in hand? That the very thing that God loves, the very people that God loves are the same people that the enemy hates. We got to experience this in Israel in a couple different occasions. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but first, we're going to start talking about the covenants. As well, I am so glad to be back. Thank you guys, all of you who helped to lift the burden while we were gone. Um, it is an amazing thing for Nick and I to be gone, for Elder Mark to be gone, and for everything to continue on smooth and beautifully, and for the Lord's work to continue. That's amazing, uh, and it shows a, a depth and a maturity among the body. So thank you guys for all that served and helped and lifted the load. We love you guys. We're so proud of this church. 
so God has chosen Israel and has given us what we need through them, and the enemy has fought to steal it. Before we begin today on the covenant part, I just want to bring about that I think the reason so many people have missed this is because we spiritualize everything. So because we spiritualize everything that we read, there are no actual physical implications when we're reading about the promises and the people and the land. Everything becomes spiritual, so nothing is physical or literal. The reason that we've missed this so much is because we haven't been looking to the literal people, the literal land, and watched how God has unfolded his faithfulness to this specific people in this specific land. So today, as we talk about this, you may say, oh, this doesn't have much to do with me. I want to tell you it has everything to do with you. If you are, uh, like Jesus talked about, you remember when he talked about the builders, the foolish man built his house on the sand, the wise man built his house on the rock. If you are a person who is trying to build a house of any kind, you're going to want to listen to what we're saying today because it's telling you how to build on the rock. To not understand what we're saying today will leave you building a house on sand. But if you'll get this, and I'm telling you, even if you need to listen to this message again and again and go over the verses, every verse that we bring up, especially if you disagree with us at any part, I'm telling you because this is not an arising church thing. This is God's heart that we're looking into today. And we have to know it to understand our place in the whole story. Does that make sense? Okay. So when we went to Israel, there was a construction line that you would see in ancient ruins. Do we have that slide? Okay. So do you see how there's this line below the stones? It's a little hard to see, but you can see that there's a line and underneath it, it's a solid surface and above it, it's the brick and the stone. Well, where you went, that line would look different in different places. But what the construction line was meant to show is that down here is the original ruins that were found. Above this, we built onto it so that you could come and experience the whole thing as we think that it was. But below this is the actual ruins of things that are thousands of years old. So let me ask you, which one did we come to see? The one that was above the line or below? Below, because it's no big deal. We built some walls back there. If I wanted to just see walls, I could walk back into the empty space back there. But I wanted to see something that had been around for thousands of years and was still standing. That's what people want to see. Okay. Let's go to Genesis 15, 12 through 21. And we are going to talk about the first of four covenants today. If we get familiar with these four covenants, we will understand our place in all of God's story. To not be familiar or understand these covenants will cause us to be ignorant of our place in God's story. So in Genesis 15, 12 through 21, I want to read you something that you may have glossed over before. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. This is the presence of God. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. He's talking about Egypt, the descendants that would come from him. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward they will come out with great possessions. 
You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Amen. Can you pull up the map that has the whole land of Israel on it? I want to tell you that what God just told Abram here defined the boundaries of the promised land. You can see the large line, and then you can see the small line in it. Now, Pastor Nick's going to get into a little bit more why it is the way that it is, but I want to tell you that the small line, or the small circle, is what it is today. The big circle, it was what we just read that was promised to Abram. This was a promise given to Abram by God. God put Abram to sleep and then made the covenant with him, showing that it was unconditional. Can you bring up the Abrahamic covenant? So I want to tell you that the, that the unconditional covenant was ongoing, everlasting, and irrevocable. Okay, so the covenant, the promise that God made with the specific man, Abram, in this story that we just read is unconditional, ongoing, everlasting, irrevocable. He made it specifically to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to see that in just a second. That's to the man, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac, not Ishmael. Jacob, not Esau. It shows that it's following and tracing a specific people. And he gave the boundaries because it's a specific land. Unconditional, forever, ongoing, irrevocable. No way to change it. Abram's asleep. God's the one that's taking care of this. And lastly, it concerns a very specific and literal piece of land on this earth. If we spiritualize it and say, it's really just the whole world. Or it's, it's not a specific land. It's, it's any land. Then we would be telling a lie. Okay? That's not the truth. The truth is specific people, specific land. And let's look at this last little piece. First Chronicles 16, 13 through 18. By the way, I would encourage you, if there is any reason why you need to leave today early, submit it to the Lord and try and stay. If you get tired or bored, fight through it. It's worth it. What we're talking about today is worth it. Cancel plans, change things, stay here and listen to it, and then listen to it again and again and again. Okay? So 1 Chronicles 16, 13 through 18. Listen to what David says. O descendants of Israel, his servant. O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. Ongoing, irrevocable, forever. The covenant he made with Abraham. We just read it. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, his grandson. Jacob becomes Israel, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. What was the covenant? That his descendants would have this land, promise forever. 
He confirmed it to Jacob. To you, I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. Physical, literal, ongoing, unconditional. God will bring this about no matter what. I want everyone to say the word man. Man. I want you to say the word land. These are two essential parts of the covenant that God made. If the man and the land are essential parts of the covenant that God made, what are the two things that you think Satan wants to attack? Let's try it one more time. The and the beautiful. In Genesis 16, We see the man become attacked. Many of you know the story of Sarai and Hagar. How this covenant had been spoken out and there was this promise of a child, a man, that would come to fulfill what God had spoken. And see, you know that sometimes when we have to wait for what God has promised, we can tend to take things into our own hands. We can tend to force the promise to come about because there is a trust breakdown as we are waiting. Well, we find ourselves in a place in Genesis 16 where Sarah has this idea. She's starting to grow restless and she has this idea of Abraham, why don't you take uh, Hagar and you can have a child by her. And this must be the way that God is going to bring about the promise that he has spoken of. Well, we see this happen. It says in in chapter 16 that in in verses 1 through 5 that she became pregnant. And it says in verse 6 that Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. Go down to verse 12. As she was fleeing away. It says, behold, you are pregnant. This is the Lord speaking. Behold, you are pregnant. And shall bear a son, you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone. And everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. And so we have this picture of uh, of a child who is being born, a physical child. Did you know that Ishmael today, this is the origination of Islam? We're going to come back to that in a second. So we have a child who is born whose name is Ishmael, but this isn't the the promised child. This is the child that was uh, brought about by force of the flesh, trying to create what God has already promised. And see, time goes on, and God continues to be faithful to what he promised Abraham. Go to Genesis 21. We have Isaac, who is born. He's about three years old at this point. Ishmael is between 14 and 16. And I want to read a part. We're going to start in verse 8 of chapter 21. It says, And the child grew and was weaned. This happened around two or three years old. And Abraham was made 
made a great feast on that day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. I want to submit to you that this isn't just a mocking or a teasing or laughing at. There's something going on here that involves humiliation and disgrace. Let me read a couple passages for you that will give us and shape our definition of laughing. In Genesis 26, 8, we see this word. It says, When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. This is the time Abimelech shifted, thinking this is not his sister, this is his wife. In Genesis 39, 17, we see this phrase again. It has to deal with Potiphar's wife. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. Galatians 4, 28 shapes what happened between Isaac and Ishmael like this. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise, but just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him. I want to submit to you today that this laughing is sexually immoral conduct with the intent to cause humiliation and death. That this wasn't a, a mocking, this was a molestation that occurred. Look at the response. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall never be heir with my son Isaac. What kind of teasing would initiate a response like that? See, right off the bat, Isaac is challenged. He's humiliated with the intent to destroy. I want to tell you that to this day, the sons of Ishmael are trying to humiliate and destroy the promises of God. We saw this play out in many ways on our trip. We were there in a three-day span, uh, right when we were leaving Jerusalem, uh, a Palestinian threw a Molotov cocktail at Israeli police officers on the Temple Mount. Later on in the trip, uh, there were two rockets launched from the West Bank. We heard the alarms, the, the sirens going off as the, they, were, they landed, pieces of these missiles landed five miles away from where we were staying. We heard two of the missiles going off. The sons of Ishmael are still trying to humiliate and destroy the people of Israel, trying to cut off and make a mockery of the promise of God. We saw the sons of Ishmael fighting, fist fighting in the streets. We saw a son of Ishmael who was no more than five or six years old spew hatred out of his mouth toward one of us and spit at us because it's a culture of hatred of humiliation, trying to destroy the promise that was given to God's people. Take a look at the wall. Can you bring up the four covenants? So you remember I showed the line, the construction line. So we took the western wall. This is a picture of the western wall. 
And what we did is we put the Abrahamic down there first, and then the Mosaic, the Davidic, and the New. Most people in this room are going to be familiar with the New Covenant or the New Testament. So we've spiritualized everything, we've taken everything, and we've made it about us as Gentiles. And we've completely neglected Israel and their part in this whole story. But I want to submit to you that the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, and the Davidic covenant are no different than those walls that had been standing for thousands of years. And the newer covenant is the one that is still ongoing and is built on those previous covenants. And if we were to take away or get rid of those other covenants or think that all that mattered was the top layer, then what would happen? The whole thing would crumble. The whole wall would crumble. Even if it's all buried under dirt, like the western wall was, we had to go into underground tunnels to see the lowest layer of it. And do you know they took us to this one stone that was 35 to 50 tons big. It was that heavy, 35 to 50. That's like 17 African elephants fully grown. How did they move that back then? I don't know, but it's enormous. And it made up the lowest layer of that wall. Now, if we had only looked at what was above the surface, we would have missed this monolith underneath that was supporting the rest of the wall. I want to tell you that, that is an, that's a play out of what we're talking about today. All of this has been going on. The fact that he's able to describe literal persecution between the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac, because that was who the promise was coming through, shows that still to this day, Satan's strategy is coming after the Abrahamic covenant and the implications, the literal physical implications that come from that covenant. Does that make sense? Amen. That was the man. We see the land also trying to be taken from the Abrahamic covenant. In Genesis 19, you can go there, verse 30 through 38. Do you guys remember when Sodom and Gomorrah were completely destroyed? And so we find ourselves at a place in the story where Lot and his daughters, they run to a cave. And the daughters of Lot, they assume that this wasn't just a localized disaster, but perhaps the entire world around them had been destroyed. They're living in a cave. So once again, they decide to force the promise of God to try to repopulate the earth, to try to declare that we are going to, by our own hand, take a land. And they give birth to two nations. Verse 37. The firstborn, a son, and they called him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. I want to pull up a map real quick. What we're going to see is to the east of the Dead Sea. I also welcome the Lord with praise. Do you see the orange and the purple nation to the east of the Dead Sea there? This is Ammon and this is Moab. That because the, the promise was trying to be forced, these two nations were given birth. Today, this is modern-day Jordan. The founders, the initiators, the prolongers of all the conflict going on in the West Bank. If you go to show the map one more time, 
the one of Israel with the two boundaries. We have the red boundary, which was the promise of God, and we have the one with the green boundary, which is what Israel currently possesses. You will see that the boundary that God promised his people included the area of Jordan. This has not been fulfilled yet. The people of Israel have not claimed this for themselves yet. This is not a place where they can move about freely, but once again, it is a place that tries to cause humiliation and destruction to come against the people of Israel. The the land was being fought through the Moabites and the Ammonites from the covenant, and the man was being fought through Ishmael. So that's the Abrahamic covenant. Does that make sense? Unconditional, ongoing, irrevocable, lasts forever. God's going to do it. He puts Abram to sleep. God will bring this about by his own hand no matter what. Specific land, literal, physical, here on earth, the boundaries we saw earlier. So next is the Mosaic Covenant. Let's go to Deuteronomy 29. Now there is so much confusion about what we're talking about, but this hopefully will bring clarity today so that we can see, because what people will often say when we're talking about these covenants is they'll say, oh, there was law and there was grace. The Mosaic Covenant was law. Jesus did away with that. Now we're in grace. Okay, that's what most people will say as it concerns the Mosaic Covenant. But I want to tell you this. That is a misunderstanding and oversimplification of the covenant that was made with Moses. When you hear people talk about that, even though they may say it authoritatively, they often don't know what they're talking about. They can say it with authority and with boldness that the Mosaic Covenant was all about the law and that Jesus did away with it and that now we're in grace That is wrong. Those people are wrong. We're going to talk about the Mosaic Covenant right now. So Deuteronomy 29, 12 through 15. Listen to this. He said, you are standing, this is Moses talking to the people. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. This is different than the Abrahamic covenant. A covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath. To confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you, as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What covenant is he referring to? The Abrahamic covenant. Good. I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. Go to chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. Now what he goes on to say is he's telling about the regulations and the requirements for the Israelite people to live in the land, possess it forever. He's giving them what they need to do to be in this land and stay here forever. And what you're going to see is it's different than the Abrahamic covenant. It says in verse 1, When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations... And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. What we are reading about is a covenant that is conditional. It's different than one that is unconditional. The conditions are with the people. We'll get to that in just a second. 
says in verse 5, He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Do you see how he's like prophesying into these people right now? The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you the most will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord again will delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Let me show you the Mosaic covenant. Bring that up if you would. So this is conditional. The Abrahamic covenant, unconditional, ongoing, irrevocable, lasts forever. The Mosaic covenant, conditional, okay? And has to do with the regulations and the requirements for the people to possess the land and stay in it forever. Look here, blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Do you guys remember that from Deuteronomy 28, that language? Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. What we often will hear is curses for disobedience. Jesus took the curse on himself. There's no more curses. The curse is done. That once again is an oversimplification of this and leads to a misunderstanding so that we are ignorant of the story that has actually taken place. We don't want to be ignorant today, right? Good. The curses for disobedience is better understood Discipline to ensure their ultimate inheritance. Let me say that again. The curses for disobedience would better be understood as discipline to ensure that they actually get the inheritance. So let's put these two together and we're going to see how they're built on one another. The Abrahamic and the Mosaic. The Abrahamic, conditional or unconditional? Who's going to make sure that it gets fulfilled? Okay, the Mosaic, conditional or unconditional? Okay, the people have to obey, but the original promise that that's founded on is, hey, no matter what, you're going to possess this land. You and your family are going to possess this land. Well, then how does that work out with the Mosaic covenant and the curses for disobedience and them being kicked out of the land and stuff? Because he's going to discipline them and his discipline will work. Oftentimes when we think about discipline, we think about it with kids and it's like, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. No, no, no. God disciplines them and he will get the desired result. So when they disobey, they get kicked out of the land. The land is, is in famine. It doesn't rain. It doesn't produce. The literal physical land actually responds to whether or not the people are obeying. This is part of the Mosaic covenant. That when you obey, look, the land will sprout everything that you need. And we were there. I kept remarking, probably to the detriment of others and the annoyance of the whole group, how fruitful and plentiful all the crops were. And everywhere, it was lush and growing so much life in the physical land. A blessing for obedience. The people were kicked out of the land and taken to other places, right? Nick's going to get into that. I don't want to take that. But what you see is the blessing, though, is tied to obedience, but God would make sure, even if they disobeyed, that he disciplined them properly so that they would be brought back into the land and would possess it forever. Let me give you an illustration. Anybody rent in here? Anybody a renter? If your dog pees on the carpet, 
and you call up your landlord and say, you're going to be really mad at me. My dog peed on the carpet. I guess our contract is broken and you're going to evict me. Is that what the landlord would say? No. What would they say? Clean up the pee. This is the better way to understand the Mosaic Covenant and the Abrahamic Covenant. When the people disobeyed, the Lord didn't renege on the Abrahamic Covenant and say, you're not my people anymore. Get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. You're out. Kicked out of here. It was more, this is what you need to do to get back in line, but I'm still faithful to the original contract that I made with you. Does that make sense? Amen. So if you were going to try as an enemy to attack the center of God's eye, the people who are at the center of God's focus, after this covenant was given, after if you are, are obedient, then you will receive all of these things, what would you try to do? You would try to trick them into becoming disobedient. You know, this happened in many ways. The enemy tried to attack the Mosaic Covenant in many ways. I'm going to read a couple of these for you. I want you to right now, with all of your energy, try to grasp this, all right? Here's the first way. Pharaoh ordered all male Hebrew infants to be murdered. The very person that God was going to use, Moses, as a salvation figure, the person who was to initiate this covenant with God, Satan wanted to destroy. In Exodus 1.22, it says, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. Not only that, but Pharaoh attempted to destroy Israel when they were backed up against the Red Sea. See, we know this covenant was made on Mount Sinai. It was this marriage contract. So before they could even get to the place where they were to be married to God as a people, the enemy tried to cut them off at the Red Sea. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians, Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. The enemy wanted to destroy the people, the man, before the covenant was even made. I also have a picture of the Red Sea if you want to see it. You want to see it? Yes. Here's a picture of the Red Sea. Right about. Ah. It's all myth. Do you see the land that is on the that, that you're looking at? That is Saudi Arabia. We were literally at this place where we could see Jordan, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia all at the same time. This was the very sea that when they came up to the enemy wanted to destroy the people of God that where there was a covenant ready to be initiated. Not only that, but after the covenant takes place in Exodus, we see that in Exodus chapter 32, the people immediately choose to disobey. 
they build the golden calf. Because remember, if you are the enemy and, and there's all these blessings that are coming with obedience, what are you going to try to get the people to do? Disobey. Disobey. They become fearful. They decide in their hearts, I need an image. And they build the golden calf. Then the promised land, they're wandering. The promised land is ready to be taken and they send out spies. Where there's an opportunity to faith, for faithfulness to rise up. For belief in God and his word, what he said about obedience, what he said about his people, what he said about his land, to take over and to move from a place of faith. But what did the people do? They doubted. They began in Numbers 13 to cry out and to complain to God. They said, would that we have died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we have died in the wilderness. It actually says in verse 10 of chapter 13, then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. They wanted to stone Moses. This is a picture of Jesus in John chapter 10 when they picked up stones to kill them right before another covenant was initiated. We see again, as they get ready to enter the promised land in Numbers 22, that Moab is standing against them. Perhaps one of the most vivid scenes we see in the word is in Joshua. Turn to Joshua chapter 11. People are getting ready to conquer, and it says in verse 1, When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent to Joab, king of Madan, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Ashaf, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country, and in the Arabah, south of the Chinarath, and in the lowland, and in Napoth, Dor, on the west, to the Canaanites, in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Jebusites, in the hill country, and the Hivites, under Hermon, in the land of Mizpah. Verse 4, and they came out with all their troops. They all gathered and rallied together, a great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came in the camp together at the waters of Moram to fight against who? Israel. Israel. You're not going to take the land. The enemy is taking a stand against the people, against the covenant that God has made with his people. You will not take the physical land. In verse 6, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. See, what God was demonstrating through the covenant is that there was going to be a faithful righteousness that was going to bring about peace. That was going to bring about blessings, a faithful righteousness. But instead, this pattern that we see over and over with God's people, the way the enemy tries to distract and move them away from faithfulness, is that they choose to compromise in order to experience peace. They get tripped because the enemy wants to destroy the people and to destroy the land. Did you know that we saw many compromises happening in Israel right before our eyes? There's a place, uh, it's, it's the actual tombs of the patriarchs. We have a picture for this as well. 
We have a tomb. We have a cave. It's, it's said that they were buried. This is a, a picture of the building that is surrounding and over the top of the tombs. There's a cave. Uh, you can go to that picture where the patriarchs are buried inside. But did you know as uh, all these talks of peace and uh, trying to figure out how can uh, Hebrews, Israelis uh, settle and mix in uh, with, with the Palestinians, uh, that compromises were made in order to accomplish a peace that God already promised. If you go back to, uh, to the picture right before this one of the tombs of the giant building, that in one of the compromises uh, that the Jewish people made was that they gave away 70% of this building to the Palestinians. That they gave away control, something God had promised, something that is in their land. They compromised and they gave away. And this isn't just about location uh, in the building, but they gave away 70% of the electricity. They gave away the bathrooms. There was a compromise that they're still feeling today. You can't even go in to see the floor where the patriarchs are buried beneath. Because they gave it away due to their compromise. I want to ask you, if there's a compromise that you've been giving into in order to maintain peace, and in doing so, you're actually giving away part of the promise that God has spoken to you. That in order to maintain peace, in order to uh, have a life that, that is, is, is moving in shalom, in the way you think that you have given something away to the enemy that God has reserved for you. So bring up the covenants, if you would. Again, the four covenants on the wall. And let's take a look at this one more time. So we've got Abrahamic, unconditional, ongoing, irrevocable, forever. God will bring it about. Mosaic, this is conditional, and it lays out the laws, the legal requirements and regulations. Now, because it's a whole people, not just a family, not just one man, but a whole people. And they need to know how to live in the land and what pleases the Lord. The Mosaic covenant is given to them, and it is good. The word actually says that the law that was given is perfect and it was given to them, but it was conditional based on their obeying it. God would still be faithful. But now let's look at the Davidic covenant. Let's go to First Chronicles 17. The Davidic covenant is also an unconditional covenant, meaning that God himself will bring it about no matter what. This will happen. First Chronicles 17, 11 through 14. When your days are over and you go to be with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring. This is God speaking to David through Nathan, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take away my love from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. 
Some people thought that this was Solomon because he was David's offspring. And in 1 Kings 5, 4, it says that all the enemies were defeated and there was no longer any adversary. The Hebrew word for that was Satan. So Solomon had all the enemies defeated because of his father's work. And then a few moves that he made after David died. And there was no more adversary. So it looked like, wow, this is David's offspring. He's sitting on David's throne. It's united Israel and there's no enemies. But what ends up happening? It falls away. What we see is that Jesus would be the one who would come and fulfill this covenant. Jesus, it seems as though, has fulfilled it all the way. But what I want to tell you is... Because we're talking about physical and literal, this is something that has been fulfilled spiritually, but is still being fulfilled. Why? Because we see that Israel right now is not free from all of her enemies. The covenant that's made with David, could you bring up the Davidic covenant? It's unconditional. God will do it. Just like he put Abram to sleep. God himself will bring about the promise to establish a king on the throne, one who would rule and one who would build the house that he would rule in. God himself would do this. Do you see how this Davidic covenant promise is groundwork for our understanding of Jesus's work? Do you see that? The Davidic covenant helps us understand what Jesus actually came to do and will come and do. Does that make sense? We see that there will be freedom from all enemies. That's what it means when he says he will establish his throne. The idea of establishing the throne in the house that he would build is the Davidic covenant. And it will be one of David's line. Matthew 1, when the newer covenant opens up, what does it start with? It tells of the lineage of Jesus, the son of David. Because it's referencing the Davidic covenant that was made. That a descendant would come from David, would rule on the throne forever, establish it, meaning no more enemies, and would build the house that he would rule from. That's the Davidic covenant in its unconditional God will do it. So as you can imagine with this covenant as well, there are two pieces that really stand out. The offspring of David and the establishment of the house that is going to host the throne. The house and the offspring. So what would you attack if you were the enemy? The house and the offspring. It's, uh, Anthony Acevedo, what are your two favorite foods? Yeah, what, what would they be? Enchiladas. And tacos. If you were an enemy of Anthony and you saw him sitting down to enjoy enchiladas and tacos, what would you try to take away from him? Enchiladas and tacos. Okay. We're all tracking. Okay. 
The offspring in the house of David. Well, how are the offspring in the house of David fought against specifically by the enemy after this? Remember, the enemy is trying to destroy the covenants of God. We see in 2 Kings 17, the Assyrian army destroyed Israel and much of Judah. It says that, that Assyria captured Samaria and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria. Do you see that? These people who were dwelling in their own land, he's like, no, I'm, I'm trying to remove the very picture of you guys establishing a temple, a throne, a house. So I'm going to remove the people from their land and bring them over here instead. <laughs> Do you see that? Attack number one. You know, I, I want to mention in, in this passage in, in 2 Kings, the people had something to do with it. The Jewish people had something to do with it as well. This is what they did. And they burned their sons and daughters as offerings and used divination and omens and sold themselves to do evil in sight of the Lord. You see how the enemy has so tricked them into killing their own. He has tricked them into wiping out their own promise, their own covenant. Do you see that? That there came a war against the offspring of David. We saw that with the Assyrians. Another thing that we see is the, Babyl the Babylonian army destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in 2 Chronicles 36. It says, and they burned the house of God. Why did they burn the house of God? Because that was the very thing that God promised to establish. We see this again in some of the stories that we've been talking about where the Samaritans, the early Samaritans, used intimidation to keep Israel from restoring the temple in Ezra chapter 4. Do you remember when we talked about this? The people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. The pattern that we see once again, that fear would provoke compromise so that the work would stop and they wouldn't receive the fullness of God's blessing. We see the same thing happen in Nehemiah 2, 10 through 20 in chapter 4. It was read earlier this morning. It says, And our enemies said that they will not know or see till we come along among them and kill them and stop the work. The enemy trying to destroy Israel, the people of God. We, say this, we see this played out in an even greater way in Esther 3.13. It says, Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill and to annihilate all Jews. The enemy has always been trying to wipe out the people of God. See, when we see how the enemy moves, it clues us in to what is continually on God's heart. His people, the promises that he has made. We're going to talk in just a little bit of how we saw this manifest itself in Israel, but we're going to move on to the new covenant. So let's go to Jeremiah 31. This is the new covenant, the one that we would maybe claim to be somewhat experts on. But I want to tell you what we previously thought that we knew 
let's open our minds up and go back and see what it would have meant to the people that it was originally given to. Okay? Once we see what it was meant to be to the people that it was originally given to, we can properly understand our place in it. Is that fair? So Jeremiah 31, and we're going to start in 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Pause. Can you bring up the four covenants on the wall one more time? So now he says a new covenant. The Abrahamic, is it gone? The Mosaic, is it gone? The Davidic, is it gone? So a new covenant now would have to be something that is not in place of but rather complementary to the covenants that had been previously made. Let's sum up the Abrahamic. Unconditional, ongoing, irrevocable, lasts forever. God will do it. It concerns the specific people with a specific land. Check. Mosaic. This is conditional. It depends on the people following the conditions. And if they don't, they will be disciplined to ensure that the Abrahamic covenant gets brought uh, to pass. Okay? Check. The Davidic covenant now says, and I will bring a king from the descendants of not just anybody, but David. David was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. He's included in that. David now is someone specific again, and through David's line would come a king who would rule on a throne in a house he would build, and he would establish it by destroying all the enemies around it unconditional God himself will bring that about. Now we're at the newer covenant. Okay? Because each one of these covenants was new at some point, was it not? But they never passed away. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now did it go away? They broke the covenant. Which covenant did they break? The Mosaic covenant. Okay? This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. In whose minds? Israel's mind. Put, put his law on the Gentiles' mind? Israel's mind. He will write his law on their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Who will be his people? Israel will be his people. When have we ever stopped talking about Israel all day today? No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Is this the current reality? Have we in this room who have accepted and embraced Jesus as Messiah have our sins been forgiven? Yes. That's a mystery. How did that happen? I don't know. That's crazy that we somehow get pulled into this story that had nothing to do with us. We get to be included in it. Where did we come from? Who knows? But this was all about Israel. 
and about their sins being forgiven and about the Lord himself bringing about the Abrahamic covenant, somehow fixing the broken Mosaic covenant and also bringing about the Davidic covenant by his own hand. And now this newer covenant comes in and it doesn't just say I'm going to wipe out your enemies or that I'm going to give you the land or that you're my people. It says all the things that have added up and been stacked against you that come in between you and I, I will wipe them away forever. This is the new covenant. This is the new testament. New testament for who? For Israel. What about us? Somehow we get to be included in the story. How ignorant, selfish, arrogant would it be if we said that this was now about us and God was done with them? Not only arrogant, but also wrong about God. What God are we actually serving if we don't understand this? I may say, I prophesy in Jesus' name. I know Jesus. I served you, Jesus. I did all these things for you. But what if the Jesus that I'm actually serving and following is so different that the day that I actually face him, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. But, but wait, Lord, I was in America and I was in the system and I, and I, I prayed the prayer and it was good and, and I worshiped you and prayed. What about that? I didn't, who were you serving? What were you serving? What if we found ourselves in that place because we so misunderstand the Lord and his word and his plans and his ways? What kind of consequences might we have to go through because we don't understand what this has been built on? So the newer covenant, can you bring that one up on the screen real quick? Here is what's going to happen as a result of the newer covenant. You can see that I wrote it a little bit differently. The Lord will come with vengeance. Vengeance for who? Israel. Against who? Their enemies. Newer covenant given. Jeremiah. He's the one that brings it about. I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel. The next one. Israel is delivered from sins and from their enemies. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about go back and listen to the message and read all the verses. All these verses that are on there, you may look and it's like sometimes people just add a bunch of verses to justify what they wrote. No, I promise you that's not what's happening here. Go back and read these verses in these passages and it will explain everything. Israel will be delivered from sins and from their enemies. Israel will all be saved and their kingdom restored. Are we talking spiritual or physical? Physical. That's been the wrong. That's where we've gotten it wrong so much in the past. We've spiritualized everything so that there's no physical implications. And lastly, God's spirit will rest on them. I want to go to one thing real quick. Turn to Zechariah. I didn't have this. Turn to Zechariah and I'll find it as we're. Go to. Yeah, look at, uh, look at Zechariah 9, 9. The coming of Zion's king. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king. King, what would that make you think of? Which covenant? Davidic. Davidic. 
See, your king comes to you. Oh, man, he's delivering on the Davidic promise. Righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken, meaning you're not going to have to fight anymore. Let me tell you this. While we were there, they still have to fight. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now what are we talking about? The land. Do you see this? As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free you, free your prisoners from the waterless pit. We were just singing about that this morning. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim and will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. It goes on to say how the Lord will appear like a flash of lightning. Who is this whole story for? Israel. Does that hurt our pride to say that? And it shouldn't. Because the beautiful thing is, like Rahab, we heard about the destruction coming our way. And we're like, I want to I follow the God of Israel. I want to follow him and, and I want to be saved. And she was delivered, was she not? What about Ruth who said, okay, then, then your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you go, I will go. Was Ruth saved? Yes, she was. What about David's 300 fighting men? So many coming from all these surrounding nations and they're coming to be, were they saved? Yes, because they entered into the promises and the blessings and the covenants. And because God is so loving, he allowed them to come in and they experienced salvation as a result of their humility and their obedience. You know, we, we've oversimplified salvation to a detriment. It would be as though someone needs water. And they come over to your house and they're like, hey, I need some water. And you're like, sure, I know where water comes from. And they take a cup and they go to their sink and they let the water out into the cup and they give it to you. See, what we have missed for so long is the process behind this living water getting to the recipient. If you live in Crystal Lake, you have a well where there's a well pump. You need, everyone knows, you need an iron extractor. Then it needs to go through a salt system to be purified. And then it goes through, if you have tons and tons of money, reverse osmosis. And then you take water. You pour it in the cup and you can hand it to someone. For far too long, we have missed and we have put down and we have simplified the process of salvation for God's people. And we're not going to do it anymore. We are going to be well informed of these things. And you have this beautiful new covenant. It was God saying to the people that have been the apple of the center of his eye for their entire existence. He says, I'm going to give you a new covenant and I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. And if you are the enemy of God, you are trying to kill the spirit giver, Jesus Christ. We see this from the very beginning in Matthew chapter 2, where Herod tries to have out all these baby boys destroyed and killed and murdered. We saw that one before. With another covenant. With another salvation figure. He wants to destroy the spirit giver. In Matthew 4, 1 through 11, we see the temptation of Jesus where the enemy tries to come in and have Jesus forfeit the kingdom of God for something he can see. 
so that the spirit that was promised would not be able to be given. Not only are, are these some of the uh, surrounding events, we know through God's word that there's going to be a continual attack on the new covenant that was established by Jesus' blood. Did you know in Mark 13, 17 through 23, it says, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never, will never be. There's going to come a time where there's a tribulation that is unmatched against the covenant people of God against Israel. You know, we went um, to Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum in Israel. The best words to describe it, it was cutting to the core. It wasn't just the Holocaust. It was seeing the history of the Holocaust. It was knowing that early on in the Crusades that people who bared the name of Christian came into the land of Israel and killed over 100,000 Jews. It was understanding the Christian theology of Martin Luther and his hatred toward the Jewish people that many of the SS Nazi uh, commanders used as their justification for wiping out the people of God. It was the fact that 6 million Jews, 1.5 million of those Jews being children, were slaughtered just because they were God's people. We walked into a memorial for the children where there were 1.5 million lights in this dark room and the names of the children who died in the Holocaust were just being read. Do you see all this history, all this baggage is still being used today against the Jewish people so that they would stand far away from the new covenant, that they would stand far away from the people who claim Christ as their Savior. The enemy has used this to keep them away. I want you to watch this video. This is us standing at the Western the Wall. It's not true. You have an aim, you have an interest, and you interest, and you and your mission, and your vision, is our destruction. No ma'am. Nothing no. to do with Christianity. I want you to understand I would die to protect you. As we were teaching about our Jewish roots, a lady came up to us and, and felt the strong desire to correct us, saying, No, you don't want you don't want to help us. Your vision, your vision, your aim is to get us destroyed. This was on the back of all the, the Christian history that had been experienced by the Jewish people. Do you see how the enemy is still using this today to keep people away from the new covenant, to scare the people in, into not receiving the spirit of God, the Ruach HaKodesh that he promised to his people. But guess what? There's going to be a time where a greater tribulation will occur. And that's going to be the time as people 
who have called on Yeshua HaMashiach, we are going to stand together with the Jewish people and show them that we love the God of Israel. We are going to demonstrate with our actions that we will stand side by side with them even when it means death. Not if it means death, when it means death. We see in Revelation 12 that Satan is going to continue to come against God's people by trying to destroy them in the wilderness, creating war on the rest of her offspring, it says. Did you know that the Antichrist, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.3, will try to take the throne, it says, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. The Antichrist will bring the armies of the world against Israel, it says in Zechariah 12. And all the nations of the earth will gather against it. We've seen that before with another covenant. We see Satan's final attempt to try to destroy in Revelation 20. And through all this, God promised that Israel would never stop being his people. I want you to turn to one more passage, Jeremiah 31, 35, and 36. Throughout all the opposition, throughout all the unfaithfulness, throughout the breaking of the covenant time and time again, this is what God has promised. In verse 35, it says, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day, in the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The same God who created everything, who holds all things together. It says, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. God is saying it's not going to happen. I have set this world into order. I have given the sun its light. I have given the moon its light. And just as those, these things will never fade away under my watch, nor will the people of Israel stop being my people. You deserve it. They're his people forever. You Forever the apple. We give you the highest praise. As we close, you deserve it all. You deserve it all. So we give you the highest praise. Cause you deserve it all. You deserve it all. You deserve it. So your mind might be trying to figure out how do I frame all this? Where do I fit in? Who am I then in all this? What's my place? Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Do you hear that? You previously were wandering 
without hope, without God, foreigners, aliens to the covenants. But now, verse 13, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. This is what we opened with this morning. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh, that word abolishing there means using up in his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. What's that referring to? The Mosaic Covenant. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Who was far away? Gentiles. Who was near? Israel, the Jews, for through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit, the spirit of who? Jesus. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. We must understand what we're talking about today because we have for too long seen that top layer and tried to sell that to the world as what they are entering into. And it's shallow and it's crumbling because it's not the same wall. When we try and sell Christianity as an escape from our problems or a feel good, get out of hell free card. And then now from here on out, you just need to feel good about yourself. Do you see what an adulteration and a far cry that is from the original true story that we've been brought into? When we sell Christianity as this cheap thing and we don't understand our place. We are serving a God who has been faithful for thousands of years and has never reneged on his promise. Who has been faithful even when the people were faithless. This is a God worth serving. We can't be ignorant in this place. We can't be ignorant as a people. We have to understand this and grasp it at the deepest level. The enemy doesn't care to attack those who are no threat. We often think that the reason we're not experiencing persecution is because we are blessed. I want to submit to you that it might be we haven't been standing for anything. Therefore, there was no reason for the enemy to come against us. But watch what happens when we begin to stand with Israel in this way. Watch what happens when we begin to stand up for what is true and for what has been built and planned from the beginning. I'll bet you that we get to be included in the persecution and the hatred of Satan towards God's people. And that the battle that's been raging and that is very real and is still ongoing today. Because remember, the Jews are outnumbered 100 to 1 by their enemies around them. Israel is so small it could fit in Vermont six times and they're still being pushed to give up more land. There is a battle that's going on. 
There is a war that's happening. And for too long, we've sat ignorant on the sidelines and we, we have to say no more. We have to say that we will actually get in the game. We will actually stand up for what's true. And we won't try and sell the top layer as the only part. We'll recognize that it stands only on the back of the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, and the Davidic covenant, and that God has not forget, forgotten his people, nor will he ever. He will deliver them, and all Israel will be saved. Is your heart resonating with this? Do you feel the Spirit of God confirming what we're talking about today? That's because it's not just a well-planned message. We took a few hours to put this together. This is what the Lord is doing. This is the Lord and he's speaking to us and saying, will you listen to my voice? Will you have eyes to see and ears to hear? And will you respond and care for what I care for? Will you love what I love? Will you watch out for what my eye is on? Let's stand together. As we stand and close, I want to read verse 21. It says, Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. When you look up at that picture at the wall, we could tangibly feel the spirit of God there. It said that this was the closest place you could get to to try to reach the Holy of Holies where it was set up. We believe as we go after these things with one mind in one spirit that God is going to use us in monumental ways as we lead his children back to him. I'll pray for us. Right now, if you just want to say, God, show me my part. Show us our part, God. Lord, I pray that you would show us our part in loving your people. God, you would show us our part in standing up for your children, God. For our older brother in the faith. God, that, he, that they may come into you through Jesus Christ and be filled with your Holy Spirit. God, show us our part. God, we thank you that it is by your Son that you have welcomed us into your family. That we have been grafted into something so much bigger than us. But you said, I love you and I have brought you into my household. Thank you, God, for allowing us to come into your household. Jesus, we pray, would you show us our part in reaching your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so listen to the message again. Go back over it. Study. Read a book or two about this subject. If you want recommendations, come and talk to us. But let's journey this together. Amen? amen. God will show us. Be humble. Ask for his revelation. Ask for him to open our eyes, and he will.